Basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all of the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using the promo code TBPN when you sign up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, assist means so much more with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy lineup. And baseball fans, you may have missed out on season-long fantasy, so now is the time to get in all of the Daily Fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so what are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's promo code TBPN, and you can get free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for more details. Ladies and gentlemen, basketball fans across the world, welcome to another episode of the Basketball Podcast, the number one basketball history podcast on the Basketball Podcast Network. And we're number one because we are the only one. I'm Jeremy Brenner, the CEO of Basketball Nostalgia, and this week, it's AI Week. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are finally celebrating the career of Allen Iverson with the Philadelphia 76ers, and we're doing so with... The new one of the newest podcasts on the Basketball Podcast Network, the Process Potables. Dan and Steve are here with me to talk about Allen Iverson's career in the city of brotherly love. Dan and Steve, thank you guys so much for spending your time today with me here at the Basketball Podcast. How are y'all doing today? Uh, Jeremy, thanks for having us. Uh, I'm I'm doing great, and um, you know I'm sure we'll get to Steve, but I just wanted to say, you know, it, it's really awesome that we're basically. At like the 20 year anniversary of like the height of Allen Iverson. And for a lot of Sixers fans, honestly, that's like, that's the pinnacle for us because, you know, I'm 32 and this team has been pretty bad for most of my life, other than, uh, you know, a very short uh, stint of Allen Iverson's tenure here. And then obviously the current uh, Sixers now reaping the benefits of the process. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk around here, especially about, you know, the idea of 20 years after Allen Iverson wins league MVP that the Sixers may finally have potentially the league MVP uh, this year as well. And Joel Embiid. So there's a lot of uh, fun correlations uh, this year to you know the peak of Allen Iverson. Uh, you know, as we said, a kind of like that 20 year anniversary of that. Steve, what do you think about it? Yeah, it's uh, the, the timing's definitely interesting because I think uh, what's happening now is like Embiid. For guys like us, he's kind of like reinvigorating our love for basketball that was just not there for the past 10, 15 years, you know, before the process. And I'm sure that um, not that I really know anyone, you know, that's like a young kid now, but like when I was like 10 or 11, how however old I was when Iverson came in, like that just like that's what got me really into basketball. And Agreed. I'm sure Embiid's doing that now. So it's just kind of interesting how like the 20 years and how the time has kind of, you know, uh, gone and went. And I still like remember a lot of the, the uh, good old days as a guy who hates nostalgia. <laughs> I love talking about the old days. And, and, and Philly loves exactly. the characters, man. Like we really identify with with the, the more unique kind of guys, the guys that, you know, like it's one thing to just be good 
at your craft and that's it. But like Philadelphia has always vibed with the weirdos, uh, the guys who do things a little bit different. And obviously AI uh, was that. And then some, and we'll talk about that. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, correlations to that with Joel Embiid as well. So there's a, there's a definitely a defining, uh, you know, kind of character we like in this city for basketball. And, uh, and Allen Iverson is, is definitely like the, the, the top, a character of that and you could throw joel in there you could throw charles barkley in there and guys like that so we we have a history for this kind of thing but ai is definitely the 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 standard for that yeah two big milestones this year for or two big milestone anniversaries this year for Allen iverson obviously 20 years since his mvp season and 25 years since he was drafted by the philadelphia 76ers and really changed the franchise forever especially in those late 90s early 2000s so I guess I kind of want to take us back. Let's rewind back 1996, 25 years ago. Y'all, you, you find out the number one pick. Did y'all follow the Sixers at this time? I know y'all were really young, but do you remember like any early moments of Allen Iverson, like in his rookie year, in his early career, before the MVP stuff, before the playoffs? Uh, do you remember, like, what are your earliest memories of AI and what allowed you to become a fan of his? So, for me, this is one of the big reasons I wanted to make sure I had Steve here with me because I was like eight when he got drafted, I think. And so, like, so you're my calling out Steve's age here a little bit. Is that yeah. what it is? Steve, Steve's like two years older than me. Yeah. I can't have two years. Older. So <laughs> I just have a little better recollection of oh, him. <laughs> so, you know, like my introduction to basketball, as many at that time, like Michael Jordan. So I remember growing up with the Jordan Bulls, and that's who I watched. But then, as soon as, you know, the Allen Iverson became. Uh, projected to the Sixers and and you started to hear his name and you started to see things you know on like Sports Center and the local news and whatnot especially for me like I was you know very short as a child and I was like a point guard when I played so I see this guy they say he was listed at six foot there's no chance he was ever six foot no what no so, so you see this guy who's who's short who's not built at all and he's just dominating like giants around him and he's hitting every shot and he's just got this He's got swag before anybody even said the word swag. And like it resonated with me so much because, you know, even as much as I like Michael Jordan, like Michael Jordan was so like obviously greatest player of all time, like all the highlights and stuff, but like he didn't he didn't play with that same, you know, like showmanship that like a guy like Iverson had where even the simplest things Iverson did, like dribbling up the floor, just had that little bit of extra to yeah. them that you were like, Oh my god, like not only is he good, but he makes it look so freaking cool. Mm -hmm. yeah, and for me, I was so I was nine or ten when he got drafted, and like Dan said, it was Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Like at you know, at that age, I'm sure as a lot of kids are sometimes, uh, especially when your local teams are bad, uh, it's you know Jordan and the Bulls. Like that's just what really you know got you into basketball. And back then, man, the only real access to you know, sports besides the games itself were sports talk radio and ESPN Sports Center. Like, if you did not watch Sports Center, you did not know what was going on right. in the world of sports. Mm -hmm. And I just remember seeing, you know, th this guy we had drafted and crossing up Michael Jordan one morning. Oh my God. And I was just like, wow, like that's Michael Jordan. Like, that's a this guy on our team is like just, you know, yeah. Made the best player ever to have lived and play basketball is just really silly. There. Like, like it's the epitome of like changing of the guard. Like you exactly. see that and you're like, oh my mm -hmm. God, we have that guy. We don't have yeah. the old guy getting crossed up by the rookie. We have the rookie. We yeah. have the, the, the new wave of the league. And it was like, 
an invigorating feeling of especially like for us like in our in our lifetime of that franchise there's nothing really that exciting i mean you know barkley's the only guy we really had in our conscious lifetimes that was even that good and one we were too young to really yeah. appreciate it and mm-hmm. like still like barkley's no iverson in my opinion no no, definitely not. And and I think then there's people like uh, so like my you know my biological father. He's only 15 years older than me. Like I would just remember hearing from him about how uh, and a lot of guys his age and older how the Sixers just got like screwed over when they did trade Barkley. And between that time to when they drafted Iverson, it was just a really bad you know few years of Sixers basketball where. I- Derek Coleman and Clarence Witherspoon weren't like franchise cornerstones. No, <laughs> well, Derek Coleman was supposed to be, but you know, a lot of guys were supposed to be. That yeah, was, he the worst part of the franchise. Yeah, so, um, but he just brought new life into basketball in general, and especially for this city. Yeah, so when I think of Allen Iverson, and I think when most most people think of Allen Iverson, they think of three moments within the career. One, his his cross on Michael Jordan, which we, we which we discussed already. Correct. The the step over Tyloo, which we'll talk about more probably on on our second episode, and his practice tirade. But there's a lot of missing pieces in there that that I want to take this time that we have to kind of discuss and kind of the build up to this second moment, the the 2001 season, and then eventually the Tyloo crossover. But you know, I I think people forget that there were growing pains before that and it wasn't just it wasn't just an immediate ascent into the NBA finals for AI there were some years where they had growing pains and the first year where AI took the Sixers to the playoffs 98-99 so it was the lockout year mm-hmm. and this is the first time since 91 where the Sixers are going to the playoffs so this is an 8 year playoff drought for a city that has a lot of rich basketball history with with Charles Barkley with Dr. J so like Philly is a is a basketball town. I, when I think of Philly, I think of the Sixers. To be honest, I mean maybe that's naive of me to say because I'm not from Philly and I'm not in that area of town. But when I think of who, which which team has the most iconic players, the iconic moments, like just the the players that define generations for sports, I think of the Sixers. Is that is that fair to say, guys, or or am I not giving enough love to the Eagles here or something like that? Well, so I mean, living here, the Eagles dominate everything, and yeah. I mean the yeah. NFL as a whole. I feel like in most football towns, that right, the, the NFL is. as a whole is is a whole different machine. But like, yeah, if you, I mean, you figure what are the other three known for historically? The Flyers basically don't matter except for seventy three, seventy four. Mm-hmm. The Phillies are known for being like the first team to lose 10,000 games. And the Eagles were the team that hadn't won a Super Bowl until 2018. So Mm -hmm. granted, the Sixers have been pretty abysmal for like, you know, the better part of almost 30 years now. There was a, you know, a solid several years where, you know, it was them, the Celtics and the Lakers for pretty much the entire 80s. You're talking about three teams that ruled the league for that long. So, yeah, as far as, you know, a, a town that has been starred for success across all of its sports. Uh, the Sixers probably have the overall like best reign, which is sad because it's still not that impressive. But none of the, the you know, the only thing I think is comparable is the Eagles in the 2000s, which granted never even won a championship. The Sixers got theirs in the 80s. But, you know, that Andy Reid Eagles team that was, you know, three or like three straight conference championships and then a Super Bowl appearance. I mean, that was like the closest mm-hmm. other thing to long term sustained success so i don't think it's it's crazy at all to say that the sixers really are like 
you know, the defining team of Philadelphia just because they are definitely overall the most successful franchise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what's sort of interesting, too, is with football, like Dan said, Eagles is number one in this town. I mean, the Eagles can go 0-16, and and I feel like in most markets – they would probably just stop talking about their football team, but not here. <laughs> not like, here. like, dude, like just, mm-hmm. you know, with nothing going on in football right now, you hear more talk about, you know, what the Eagles are going to do at the quarterback position than the Sixers who are in first place right now. Like that's just in the entire East. Yeah. yeah and it's been like that um, every year, but I think um, going back to what you asked about earlier, uh, basketball is really interesting because with you know the Eagles and, and football in general, and I guess it's like this for a lot of areas, but maybe not. But we have one, we don't have a like a, a college sports, you know, established because there's so many colleges in the city of Philadelphia. Yeah, I, 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 like, I, that's fair. I mean, like, we're not college basketball guys, but the big five is huge here, man. Right. Yeah, yeah like we, we had the big project. five, but I still think that compared to the Sixers, like, you know. Well, well yeah, but I, I mean, I think bigger, like, we don't have a big college football presence. Like, Temple's right. fine. Um, you know, there's some people that I guess, like, might like Rutgers, but Penn State's pretty far out of here in Philadelphia. People yeah. will try and lump Penn State in it, but Penn State's not anywhere no. near here. Penn State's, like, three hours mm-hmm. away. Yeah. So, like, you know, it, it's all professional sports, really, other than the big five for basketball. But I would still say that the Sixers reign over the college scene. But I will say, like, Philadelphia just has this history of guys from these different neighborhoods in, in Philly or even here in uh, South Jersey where we actually live. Like, some, you hear about, um, you know, guys that just grew up playing here. And, you know, like the Rashid Wallaces, the, you know, there's Eddie Jones, so many guys. I mean, Kobe. Yeah. Yeah. Kobe, Kobe. Marion. Yeah. So. I mean, there's Philadelphia also has its place in basketball history just because so many guys, uh, you know, grew oh, up for sure. Born out, so I think, you know, that kind of adds to it as well. Yeah. So there's a there's a very, very rich basketball history in Philly. And, and AI is the new is the new guy. He's the new chapter. And in the first playoff appearance he has, he leads the Sixers to a playoff series victory over the Orlando Magic. Three to one in that series. It was an upset considering the fact that the Sixers were a six seed versus the three seed Magic. Now, those 99 playoffs obviously very different because it was a lockout year and and the seeding might not have necessarily reflected everything that was, you know, everything that was exactly like the talent levels for those teams, considering the fact that the eighth seed Knicks went to the finals that year. But the Sixers ended up going to the second round against the Pacers. Uh, Reggie Miller and the Pacers, and even though it was a 4-0 sweep, the Sixers had a chance to win a couple of those games. Three of those games were decided by five points or less, and I I don't know how much of a recollection you guys have of this series, but is there any memories from this series that you have where you're like, like, damn it, we should have won that game, or or AI played really well, or anything that led you to, like, anything that was – notable from from this playoff run of this series in particular whatever i take from it is that i fucking hated reggie miller can i curse mm-hmm. on here sure yeah go ahead i fucking hated reggie miller <laughs> yep. and i still do um i never enjoyed ro- watching reggie miller play basketball um i i hated those pacers teams i hated their uniforms i hated that they were from indiana I, I had no reason to think that at the time but i i legitimately know that i did and i hated reggie miller um but the takeaway, honestly, was just like, oh, my God, like, you know, this team is fun. Uh, you know, they they play they play with heart. And 
the biggest thing learning early on was was really recognizing the fact that you know especially like i hate the the people that really try to compare eras of basketball and you know whether they you know, like one better than the other what have you but this isn't even really an opinion. The league was a, a lot more physical back then. And then you, you take into consideration that Allen Iverson's probably, you know, 5'10, 5'11, probably not 200 pounds soaking wet. And he's getting beat the hell up in these playoffs. And he's still putting up over 28 points a game and putting the team on his back because they had nobody. And that's like one of the stories of Iverson's career is never having any help, uh, which is, which is a shame, but it makes it all the more impressive what he did. And, like some of the haters over over the years, as we've you know started talking about the legacy of him, and especially when we when you know he was like getting to the point where we were expecting him into the Hall of Fame and whatnot, people would be like, oh well, of course he scored all those points. You know who else on the team was going to do it? It's like no man. Like when the team is that bad and everybody's focusing on you for you to still score that many points, it's not a matter of you're you're a trucker, you're the only guy. It's a matter of you're that damn good that you can still get your shot and that you can still put up those points. Yeah, and and there's teams I, I hate admit it, you know, admitting it, but the, there's Pacers teams were good man, and, and part of it's just because they were annoying. And if you look back at some of the guys they had, like you know, like like Austin Crozier still like annoys me to this day. Like, <laughs> and it's just like someone who like isn't really that good, but that Pacers team just made it work. I mean, they they had Chris Mullen, they had um like Travis Best was good for a minute. Uh, they had, um, I think Mark Jackson, Jalen Rose, yeah, yeah, yeah J- Jalen Rose, um, Al Harrington, who like he's definitely one of those guys where he would destroy in today's NBA. Uh, he was just like a stretch four that could just had a shot that like could kill you, and it's just you know Iverson's his own you know talent and ability to carry a team on his back, like that just wasn't enough. We we needed more uh, pieces and kind of like. When you watch that, uh, you know that Jordan docu series from last year, like for the Bulls, it was you know the Pacers. They just have to get through the pace, or I'm mm-hmm. sorry, not the Pacers, the Pistons. That was always their team that they were battling in the East. And for us, you know, in those early years, it was just the Pacers that were just like that. You couldn't, you were always close, but not close enough. Yeah, it's because they they lose them in four in '99, but in 2000 they get another crack at them in the second round, and they. Lose the first three games, but they're able to claw back um, in game four with a two-point win. In game five, they go back to Indiana in a 19-point win. So they convincingly beat the Pacers there. And then in game six, the the comeback kind of falls short with a loss there. But when you get one step closer, are you, what you're starting to think, okay, like like AI really needs help at this point. Like how like you 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 early uh, Steve you mentioned it just a little while ago but talk about the the need for why AI needed more pieces around him. Well, the always, and this is probably what led to the downfall of it that he was you know the alpha you know alpha dog in the gym and he needed the ball in his hands and the perfect team which was the best you're ever going to get in one which we'll get to. Um, there was almost no one guy that would be the ideal number two to him. Just finding that was almost impossible. It seemed like, and I bet now like, a, you know, a casual basketball fan, they don't remember like the Eric snows, Aaron McKees, Theo Ratliff, Tyrone Hills, George Lynch. Why would anybody? He, remember yeah. Them? But like they were, 
they were guys that were like, okay, we're we're just gonna play really good defense, uh, contribute off- offensively occasionally, and and that's kind of how all the Sixers teams were uh, were sort of built, and they just never found that you know number two guy, and and no, that would I never thought from even back then Chris Webber would be that, but <laughs> and he wasn't, <laughs> yeah. So and the the interesting thing about you know seeing them advance every step is again like there's so many correlations to that team and and the current iteration of, of this franchise where it feels like every year they're taking another step, but we have this built in like paranoia or like you know shock uh you know like shell shock from that era where it's like yeah we we kept taking every step but they they never got this this league changing star to where he ultimately needed to be which is to win a title and that's been this like you know sunken fear in a lot of us for a while now is watching a guy like Joel Embiid again have have drawn the correlations in already and saying are they going to you know, do what it takes to really build around this guy so we can finally win a championship. And like, even, you know, with them making a lot of moves, we've, we've all approved that there's still this, like this feeling you can't shake that, like, yeah. they're just not going to get it right. And we're going to go through it again, where it's like, man, we literally have uh, the guy who's probably the best player in the league currently, but can, can the team around him help him do it? And, you know, we don't know. And, and you know, I'm sure part of that is also at the time with the Eagles, that's that was a start of the Donovan McNabb era. So it's kind of the mm-hmm. same thing where it's like, you, you know, that's just kind of built into the fan base. Yeah. Really just, uh, I'm not willing to put Donovan McNabb in the same conversation as I. Oh, no, 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 no. I know you're not either. But so it, it do, <laughs> let's just say it doesn't help. You know, it certainly doesn't help. Because <laughs> it's the same. It's the same narrative at the end of the day. I mean, yeah, it's the same yeah. narrative for, mm-hmm. for duty. And that's and that's maybe why you ha- yeah, why you feel this way currently. About the team, even though I feel like Joel Embiid, it's a lot more hope than Allen Iverson did. I mean, there's a big difference between Aaron McKee, Eric Snell versus Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris. But it's, it's also a different league, and that's why it's that's different. true. Back then, most teams only had the one guy, so it wasn't mm-hmm. the same as where now. Yeah, yeah, like this team has significantly more loaded, but unfortunately, all the top teams are significantly more loaded. Where back then, the talent distribution throughout the league was so much more uh, equitable. Yeah. But the uh, like the interesting part about you know those two playoff series and, and thinking this team was growing and everything is the fact that then immediately you know after losing to the Pacers again like they were shopping Iverson, yeah, yeah, and, and like I feel like most people you know because it never happened at that point at least obviously he would be traded later which I'm sure we'll talk about but you know at that point because they didn't actually pull the trigger and then they ended up going to the finals like I feel like it almost got swept under the rug but like can you imagine the devastation? If yeah. this team sold out on him before getting that finals mm-hmm. run, and what that would have done for his legacy, what that would have done for for this franchise, because even though you know we only had that one legitimate deep run, uh, that one finals appearance, like that made that entire era at least feel like a, a mild success. Oh, yeah. And if you don't have that, then I mean it's a blip on the radar. We're definitely not doing a podcast about it. I bet. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if this was uh so is that something you wanted to discuss, like the potential trade or uh, before I get Yeah, so we, we can definitely touch on it because it's something that I think isn't thought of too much. So he he does request a trade after losing in two thousand and you know, I mean what do you what do you think at this point? Like I mean, what was his contract like? Was he about to become a free agent? Was he about to like was it? Did it make a lot of sense to trade him? Not really. He had just signed a six-year, seventy million dollar extension. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you're not trading a guy like that. I mean, yes, he wants out, but at the end of the day, and players didn't have the same kind of power that they did 20 years ago. So, or players don't have the power they did 20 years ago than they do today. So, you know, yes, you, you can express discomfort. And dis and I think doing this, though, it really allowed AI to sit back and assess the situation. And there were there was a sense of taking responsibility on his end a little bit for the playoff failures as well. You know, I think AI is kind of seen as a guy that likes to deflect and likes to put blame on others. At least that's how he was perceived definitely in the latter part of his Philly career and overall career, to be honest. But during this off season though, before coming on the podcast, I was reading about how he did take responsibility for the 2000 playoff failure. And he really took it upon himself to improve his own game. And I think that's why we saw such an improvement in 2001, because he was willing to take responsibility and, and really buy into what Larry Brown was selling at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Larry Brown had a lot to do with it because I mean, they, I don't think people realize that like they were just so torn and it seemed like there was no reconciliation and, you know, we have Matt Geiger to think to thank why that you know the trade never happened. Uh, Sixer legend Matt Geiger, yeah, Sixers legend Matt Geiger. Uh, so, I, I I mean, it's it's definitely polarizing. And well, one there was I'll never forget, uh, you know, coming home from playing basketball and my stepdad, like my stepdad and mom, they weren't sports people at all. And he came home with a copy of the papers like, oh, yeah, Iverson might be gone. I'm like, shut up. No, like I thought it was a prank or something. And like it broke my heart. And only years later to find out that he could have at first gone to the uh, Clippers for some combination of like Corey Maggette, Darius Miles. Uh, yeah. Richardson. Yeah. Like that, they were, you know, what? that Clippers team, they were like, you know, the first like league pass team before there was like a league that, pass. That's, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Like they were just, they were fun to watch. And um, I mean, you could argue the magic, maybe the Shaq and Penny magic. Oh yeah. There but, you go. But, yeah, no, and, point, and, and ironically, one of the uh, two or three untouchables was Elton brand. So mm. imagine Iverson, you know, there's an alternate universe where him and uh, Elton brand are losing to uh, Kobe and Shaq in the Western conference finals every year. But, so <laughs> so the, the Larry Brown thing for me is, is, is a real is a real hot, hot topic for me, because like this goes back to, to Iverson's overall effect on the culture of the league and, and the idea of perception versus reality, because, you know, you can you can talk, you know, Alan Iverson today will tell you, like, you know, like I, I definitely, you know, took things for granted. I, I wasn't always, uh, you know, all completely bought in and everything, but like. You know that that's kind of who he was, and unfortunately, in in any case, you know when a guy has that kind of talent, like sometimes you have to live with some of those things because sometimes that that makes them what they are, uh, whether right. for good or for bad. But you know the idea that he's not necessarily buying into what Larry Brown is saying is also the idea that like Larry Brown is probably has to be one of the worst pot possible coaching matches for a guy like Allen Iverson. You've got yeah. like old get off my lawn white guy dealing with, you know, Allen Iverson coming from, you know, Virginia and, and the, and the whole culture there, which, you know, has, has been talked about to death. So I don't think I, I need to hammer at home or anything, but it, it's a, it's a culture shock. And, 
you know, I'm not willing to let Larry Brown off the hook with that either. And the fact that I'm sure that he was very confrontational about it. And if you're going to give any success to what happened after the whole um, potential trade scenario thing, you know, I, I honestly attest it more, you know, I, I do think there's something to be said for Iverson probably, you know, dialing in a little bit more that season. But why do you think he did that? I mean, I, I think a lot of it would have to do with the fact that he was almost traded and he's definitely the type of guy to use that as a chip on his shoulder and be like, you know what? Like you were going to trade me, like watch what I'm about to do. They start 10 and 0 that next season after the trade rumors and stuff. Like mm-hmm. Iverson came out the gate, like you really, you really were going to move me Yeah, of all people. Like, and that's, that's such a, that's such a like summary of his career and who he was the whole time is like, the minute that you like put his back up against the wall, the minute you doubt him, the minute you try and and you know uh, lessen his name, that's that's what fueled him. And I think that entire season, you can credit to him just being like, like you all have the wrong perception of me. I watch what I'm about to do, and and it was it was amazing to watch, and he proved everybody wrong. Yeah, and I, and I was really happy that he did because I just remember as a kid, there's always that. Now, granted, I know every city has a toxic, you know, sports radio. Uh, talk environment, but I feel like Philadelphia still has to be one of the worst. I'm, and I'm sure, because you know, Philadelphia, we love the you know, bring your lunch pail to work kind of guy in your hard hat, and Jesus you know, just Christ. these typical like you know, narratives. And it's just like they want every player to be the same like guy and just really stoic. And that's that just wasn't who he was. And you know, you have Iverson, who Dan just described being a young kid coming out of the projects of Virginia versus Larry Brown, who I'm pretty sure played under Dean Smith. Like mm-hmm. Larry Brown goes back, like when basketball first, you know, was created, it feels like. Well, you and, argue that like he's a third generation of literally just basketball. Like, yeah. Like, uh, and I, and the, the weird thing is like, like Larry Brown would always say, he's like, yeah, I'm never going to retire. Like, I just really want to coach high school kids. It's like, okay, like kind of weird, but fine. And it's a, I mean, it's a real, like, you couldn't have a more polar opposite between a star player and a head coach. And right, it's right. just, you know, it took for almost to get traded for, for things to fall into place. And thankfully uh, it did. What changed in his X's and O's game? Like on, on the court, what changed with Allen Iverson and why did that team go from middle of the pack in the East to the top of the East? I mean, I think if anything, at least before the Matumbo trade, yeah, well, I mean, when I think about that team, the one thing you know that I talked about a little bit earlier was the fact that Iverson was obviously undersized, like you know, still a great defender and obviously an incredible offensive player. The thing was, is while you obviously didn't put necessarily the proper amount of like quote unquote talent around him, you did put a, a great group of guys around him. One that played great defense, so that you know he was able to basically handle the scoring load on his own because. You know, that team wasn't going to be in a shootout with anybody. You know, Iverson, for how great he was, could still only do so much. So they had to be an elite defense to make sure that his scoring was enough. They did that. And obviously, Iverson being a guy that can create with his dribble and, and was more of a mid-range and a slasher. You know, he was never a three-point shooter no. or anything like that. You had a lot of big physical guys who would set screens, who would roll, and who, like, honestly, you know, it seems crazy, but none of those guys really cared how much they got the ball. Like, like it's a very difficult thing sometimes then, in the yeah. game when you have too many guys who need to be fed and it can screw somebody up when they're not getting touches, when they have to get touches in a role that they're not comfortable with. And all these guys were just like, listen, like 
you know, we'll do whatever. Like Aaron McKee was like, hey, I'm going to stand in the corner. If I get it, I'll shoot it. But like, I certainly don't really care. And you, Eric Snow had no interest in playing offense except t- taking every mid-range jumper he could get and miss. <laughs> Theo the yeah. was a, was literally a rim runner before there were even that many yep. of them. Uh, you know, uh, Ty- like Tyrone Hill was was just a banger. George Lynch was really just like a defender and a and a dunk guy. So one, Iverson never had to worry about really you know feeding anybody else, and two. You know, he had the perfect guys to just be like, you know, set this screen, set this screen, free me up, free me up, and and let me go to work. So while the talent wasn't necessarily there, you had the right personality types, you had you mm-hmm. know, big physical bodies, and you guys that wanted to defend. And uh, not only was that good for Iverson, but it was good for Larry Brown because that was his mo too. Is you know he he was you know known for having emphasis on defense and stuff. Yes. And obviously there was a lot of back and forth between him and Iverson on, you know, how dialed in Iverson was and how much she really bought into the scheme. But, you know, those guys were able to pick up that slack for him. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it was okay, but it at least hid and made the deficiencies that did come with Iverson seem a lot less more prolific than they would have been in a lot of other situations, I imagine. Yeah. And Larry Brown definitely wasn't an excess and those guy like I can't really think of like an offense that was just like far above anyone else at that time like Dan said it just was predicated defense first back when I mean that's just how the league was back then uh I mean look when Larry Brown uh, years later won the uh, championship with Detroit Pistons I mean no one saw that coming but that was a great defensive team and Mm -hmm. I, I think it's just kind of it was defense first and then we'll figure it out with you know who just matches up with AI the best, you know, on the court. And as and as much as I want to give Larry Brown uh crap most of the time, uh, I guess to the to the same conversation, you do have to give him credit for the fact that you know he could have been stubborn and really tried to integrate some team offensive scheme that didn't just let Iverson do what he wanted. But I I, I guess you have to give him some credit to recognize, like, no, this guy's literally so good that the play is Alan, go do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's how a lot of offenses are today, I feel. You know, like I think it started. I think it continued with LeBron. Like you kind of like, especially those like 07 Cavs teams, where 06 07 Cavs, where you just let LeBron go do what he wanted, and it was good enough. And similar to like even guys like James Harden right now, that just you you give the ball to James Harden, and James Harden does what he needs to. And you know, I think there's a lot of and Steph Curry also is in that kind of kind of crowd as well. So I, Iverson, in a way kind of started this trend, if you will, for guys that would just you kind of do it yourself kind of offense. And I know there are guys before that you can say that fit that bill like Magic and and you know maybe Michael Jordan, but in a in a sense, basketball was far more structured back then. And that's kind of what Allen Iverson brought to the league in a sense. He kind of brought his own his own touch onto the league. And that kind of that's how he changes the game. That's how he evolves the game. And I think that's why He's such a central figure in this changing of the guard from the post Michael Jordan era to what we see today, and and that's why this is so uh, influential. And and this 2001 playoffs run and season altogether is is a big chunk of his legacy. So I think this is a good place to park for right now. But we will uh, start with the playoff run, the 2001 playoff run in part two so dan and steve thank you guys for sticking with part one feel free to drop your twitter handle and talk about any podcast you're working on currently yeah we uh just recorded an episode 
two days ago yes. uh, after the Sixers Nets game mm-hmm. uh, talking about Embiid being back in the MVP race, uh, the Sixers being in first stuff like that. Um, so you can check that out. Uh, if you look up process potables in any, uh, you know, podcast application, Spotify, Apple podcasts, everything like that, you'll find us all our social media handles are at process potables. So we're on Twitter, Instagram. We do Twitch now um untapped if you want to follow us for any of the beer stuff that we do and uh mine is at dan says that steve is at sw jones 87 so we're both uh pretty active on twitter uh mostly with really really terrible memes and really bad yeah. sixers takes bad photos there you go. My part. Oh, yeah. yeah me too no you're a lot better <laughs> yeah feel free to also follow the Passel podcast on twitter that's p-a-s-t-k-e-t ball you can also follow me on Twitter. Nothing fancy, just my name, Jeremy Brenner. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-R-E-N-E-R. You can also follow the Basketball Podcast Network on Twitter and Instagram at HoopsPodNet. And be on the lookout for a special project that I'm working on, a, an NBA 2K sim, starting from, ironically enough, the 2000-2001 season. And we let the game do its do its course and see what history repeats itself, what history changes and it's it's a pretty exciting series. I've done it offline a couple of times, and I'm excited to share it online. So that should be coming out uh, in the next couple of weeks. I know I've said that a few times now, but uh, we're getting really close. I already have the first episode uh, recorded, and we just need to put it all together and edited, and it will be out shortly. So stay tuned for that. But also stay tuned for part two coming out on Wednesday, April 21st. So be sure to subscribe to the Passable Podcast wherever you choose to listen to your podcast. Every Tuesdays and Wednesday, we're putting out new episodes. So stay on the lookout for that. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the Passable Podcast. And until next time, rewind and be kind.